0: of our questions. You're not a God who is scared of, yeah, the things that we're thinking and processing through. Um, But God, I pray that tonight you would meet us, that you would open both our hearts and our minds to to what is true, um, and that we would see you for who you truly are tonight. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so I have had quite a few rough experiences while traveling. I'm sure if any of you have traveled before, there's always things that come up. Um, One of the, probably one of the worst ones, I was flying home to Denver from Minnesota, and I was 24 hours late for my flight. Like, I showed up at the airport at four in the morning, and they were like, uh, your flight was yesterday. I'm like, oh my gosh, I literally missed my flight by 24 hours. Um, But this is something that hasn't happened to me. That, that was pretty rough. Um, but let's say, travel experiences, let's say you're in a foreign country. Let's say you've been there for like, I don't know, three months, four months, a really long time. You really miss your family. You really want to go home. And so you get to the airport and you're like, oh, finally I get to go home. And you're looking at all the signs and you can't read anything. you can't, you can't read anything, you can't understand what anybody is saying. Even, like, as you look at the signs, like, there's normally arrows, like, this way to departures, stuff like that. Like, the signs are all different. Like, you have no idea where to go or what to do. So you wander around for a long time trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Eventually, you hear a family speaking English. So you're like, oh, thank goodness. Maybe they can help me. So you go over to this family, um, and you're like, I need to get home. I've been gone for so long. Can you please help me? Where is the plane to Denver? And they're like, oh, actually, you're totally good. Like, don't worry about it. Get on any plane, and it'll take you to Denver. And you're like, okay, that's kind of weird, but okay, I guess I'll get on a the plane. There, this is my only hope. So you get on a plane, You still can't understand anything, and you get off the plane, you're like, this is Egypt, or this is Brazil, or this is not where I wanted to go. This is not what I was planning. Um, And so this family's attempt at being loving and helpful is actually deceptive and unloving. And so I think we're tempted to think about religion in this way— And there's something about our culture that feels really attracted to that idea of, like, whatever you want, whatever you want is true. It'll get you where you want to go. And maybe kind of in the midst of this, we're worried about offending people or disagreeing. Maybe that feels really scary. Or maybe we're even worried that we're wrong and that we don't know for sure. And to be fair, if all you cared about was the plane ride, if you're like, ah, I love 10-hour flights. I love when my knees have no room to stretch out and bad airplane meals. If you love that, cool. Not, Not my favorite thing. But if it was about that, then it wouldn't really matter what plane we got on and where we were going. But you never get on a plane for the ride. You get on a plane for the destination. And so that's what matters as we consider this. And so if we really believe what Christianity teaches, This is actually of eternal significance. So tonight, I want to talk about that truth matters. And truth doesn't just matter for this life, here and now, but it matters for all of eternity. So before we kind of take a deep dive, um, I just want to talk about the question, what is truth? Because truth is kind of this buzzword in our culture right now. Like, it's super popular. Like, you hear phrases— like, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. Um, it, it's really, like, live your truth. Um, and so it's, it's a really common subject that we talk about. But we need, to, we need to define our terms. We need to know what we're talking about, because I could say one thing, and you could be thinking something different. So, talking about truth, there's actually a couple different categories to consider. The first one being subjective truth. So, subjective truth is a philosophical concept that comes from the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard, which says a truth is based on a person's perspective, feelings, or opinions. So, a couple examples of a subjective truth Chick fil A is better than Keynes. Yeah, Yeah? already getting, yeah, okay, okay. Thank you, thank you. Brendan agrees with my subjective truth. Um, Another one, swing dancing is an enjoyable activity. Anyone? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Or what about this? I'm having a good day today. Today is going well for me. So these are all things that are based on our own experience. I like Chick-fil-A because I think it tastes better. I'm having a good day today because I had a great cup of coffee, or like whatever it is, it's based on somebody's experience. Objective truth, on the other side, is something that is true for everybody, whether or not they agree with it. So, I am currently at Woodman Valley Chapel. This is true. I'm not in, I don't know, Japan or something. The temperature outside is 25 degrees If that's still accurate, you can check your phone and correct me if that's not actually what the temperature is. But that is true. If we go outside and measure, it's 25 plus or minus however much it's changed since I looked at my phone last. If I jump into the air, I will come back to the stage because of gravity. These are all things that are objectively true, whether or not you agree with them. So you have the right to disagree with me on these things. You do, like, you can believe that if I jump up or if you jump up, that, you know, you're just gonna start floating and flying around the Stone Chapel. Like, that'd be pretty cool, but it's not true. So some truths are subjective while others are objective. And so with this in mind, it's super important to address this question that has become really popular, and I think this is a viewpoint that a lot of us have, or even just like going around campus and talking to people, a lot of people believe this, Um, and this is that all truth is relative. So relative truth is the belief that truth changes based on the individual's understanding or experience of it. So this is actually saying that what you think, what you think, what you think because of your dif- because of the differences, truth actually changes, and this is a super popular thing right now. And so again, this is where "live your truth," "my truth is my truth," "your truth is your truth," comes from. It's very popular, and at face value, you're like, "Yeah, that seems like super open and inclusive and welcoming, and loving." But my truth can lead lead me to live in a very different way then somebody else's truth could lead them to live. And so a lot of people hold this viewpoint that truth is relative when it comes to religion. So Jesus is my truth, but Buddha is yours. Crystals are my truth, but Allah is yours. So on the other hand of rel- relative truth, we, al- we also have absolute truth, which is something that is true at all times in all places, regardless of the circumstances. So here's an example. There are no round squares. They don't exist. These tables here, they're round. They can never be squares. If we look at a, you know, we look at a round square here, which doesn't exist, or if we look at it in Japan, it doesn't change. If it's 25 degrees out, or if it's 85 degrees out, This truth does not change. It holds in all times, all circumstances. So the trouble that we very quickly run into with this claim that all truth is relative is this. So let's say my truth is that, my truth, I never have to eat or drink or sleep to survive. I'm invincible. I can do what I want. This is my truth. But the need for food and sleep for human survival is not subjective. It's objective. It is true in all times, in all places. Or let's kind of consider an an example in morality. Let's say that my truth, I'm like, man, I just wish I, I just want a different job. Like, I want some more income. My truth is now going to be that stealing is my source of income. That's that's gonna be what I do. Large scale, very unpopular idea, morally. <laughs> like, I don't think anybody would agree with me that this is a thing that is, okay, we have this inherent awareness. It's like our moral compass starts acting up and we can tell it's like, no, like that is not, that is not true. And so here, kind of at the crux of it, here's the irony of the claim that all truth is relative. This claim, all truth is relative, is actually stating an absolute truth when you think about it. Like, every single truth is relative. That's actually making an absolute truth claim about relative truth. And so with that in mind, um, it's actually contradictory and logically that claim does not hold up. So, all of that in mind, all of these these thoughts about truth, um, let's bring it back to our topic. Is there only one true religion? So if all truth cannot be relative, then it's no longer a question of are they all the same? Um, All religions cannot be true. So we're gonna take a quick look at some of the major religions of the world. Disclaimer, this is a very, very brief overview. I'm sure a lot of you here know a lot more than what's going to be on this screen, and I recognize that this is a very reductionist way of looking at this, but my heart and hope in this is not to tell you everything about all of the religions, but rather just to show us that they're different, that the claims they're making are, are different and they don't go together. So. The question we're considering as we think about this is what is God like? What is the nature of God in each religion? And then how do humans relate to that God or that not God? So in Hinduism, um, there are infinite manifestations of God. These gods or deities become incarnate in idols, temples, gurus, rivers, animals, essentially everything can hold a deity. The goal in Hinduism is to escape the cycle of karma, which is based on moral goodness in your previous life. So, let's say you had a position of power in your previous life, but you majorly exploited your position of power. Because of that, because you were not morally good, in the next life, you might have a lower status, or maybe you'll live in poverty, um, or yeah, your life will be not as good. But if you want to escape that, if you want to be higher in the next life, by being good, by being devoted to any of the deities, it doesn't super matter which one, um, and through religious ceremonies in being devoted to the deity, then this will actually lead to the realization that life isn't real and selfhood is an illusion. And now, because of this realization, you have the potential to escape the cycle of karma. So there's Hinduism. Um, New Age spirituality. This one is very common, talked about a lot. Um, and so in New Age spirituality, the belief about God is very different. God is not a personal God or a God who's actually a being or transcendent. But being God um, means coming to a higher realization of of consciousness within yourself where you realize that you are divine and that everything is divine. So it's very based in the self. Um, and there's very—there's a lot of different versions of this, so that's like very broad scale, um, but it kind of comes down to that self is deity. Self is God. And the re- only reality that exists is what each individual Deity, believes to be true. And that is, that is what is true. You can't, you can't argue against it. This is truth, and this is truth. Um, So in Buddhism, there's actually no god or gods. Instead, the goal in Buddhism is to achieve enlightenment, which is essentially freeing people from the continuous cycle of life and death, or suffering. And so to do this, you follow a list of religious ceremonies, practices, all of these things, um, offering sacrifices, worship at the temple, meditation. A lot of these things are very involved in Buddhism. And if you do that enough, if you do a good enough job, then you have potential to escape. In Islam, there is one Almighty God who is named Allah. He is infinitely superior to and transcendent from humankind. He is the creator of all things. Um, Allah is viewed as a very powerful and strict judge who will be merciful towards followers depending on how good their works were throughout their life. So if you are morally good enough in Islam, then you might receive mercy from Allah. And so the goal is to achieve eternal life, which again, it can be done if you're religiously devoted enough and if, in the moment, Allah decides that he's feeling merciful that day. Then we have Christianity, which also believes in one God, who is creator of everything and wants a personal relationship with people, not just in eternal life, but starting in this lifetime. Jesus Christ is God himself. He is 100% God and 100% man. On earth, Jesus performed miracles. He forgave people of their sins by dying on the cross and coming back to life. The belief in Christianity is that there's actually nothing you can do to earn your way to God. Instead, God, out of his great love for humanity, himself became a man on earth in the person of Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died the death that people owed. And through repentance and faith, people can experience eternal life. So, just looking at these all together, we can see that they're very different. None of them has the same view. Nobody has the exact same view on who God is. Nobody has the exact same view on how people relate to God or reach God. Um, And so, just looking at this, we can see, like, we can't say that all religions are the same. Because even within themselves, they would not affirm that. Like some believe that by being morally good enough, you can earn your way to God. Some people believe that the purpose of life is to escape suffering or achieve enlightenment, and others believe that the only way to eternal life is through the sacrifice of Jesus. And it, even within these religions, um, like for example in Islam, anybody who claims to, like, who who affirms the deity of any god other than Allah can face really serious consequences. Or in Christianity, in the Bible, in um, Deuteronomy 23, it says, you must not have any other god but me. So it's a very strict and clear command to not worship any other god. And to affirm the deity of another god is actually not inclusive and loving Christianity, it's actually idolatry, which is taken very seriously. So all religions cannot be the same. So what are we left with? What are our options? A way that a lot of people have tried to make sense of this, if they can't all be the same, well, maybe we're just experiencing different aspects of the same thing. A lot of people use this metaphor of An elephant. Um, So there's this elephant and there's a bunch of blind men. They come up to the elephant and they're like, okay I'm gonna try and understand what this elephant is like. So one person feels the leg and they're like, oh it's like round and kind of rough. Somebody else feels the ear and they're like, oh it kind of is flops around or whatever. Somebody feels the tusk and they're like, oh it's like hard and smooth. Um, Somebody feels the side and they're like, oh this is pretty big but like a little squishy but still kind of rough. Um, and so, yeah, they're all feeling the same elephant, but they're experiencing very different parts of this elephant, and they're coming to different conclusions about what it is that they're experiencing. And so this is used to propose the idea that all religions are experiencing the same God, but they're experiencing different aspects of the same God, and so that's why people come to different conclusions about— why these are all so different. Like, in Buddhism, they're feeling the leg, and they're like, oh, there's no gods. Or in um, Hinduism, they feel the tusk and they're like, oh, there's multiple gods. Or in Christianity, they feel the ear, and they're like, oh, Jesus is the way to reach God. This sounds, like, attractive and appealing. I'm like, oh, I wish, I wish that was true. But when you think about it, this, this only holds up if there's somebody who is outside of the elephant who can see and understand and perceive truth at a higher scale than everybody else can. And there's not. And so while that sounds really, really exciting that that could be the answer, um, it's not. It's not that people are experiencing different aspects of the same God. So all religions cannot be true, because all truth is not relative. And we see from the elephant analogy, it's not just a different interpretation or understanding or experience of the same God. So now what are we left with? <laughs> what is our last option here? How do we know? As we look at these, like, how do we know which one is true? Um, and so a lot of scholars, really smart people, way smarter than I am, they have come up with these criteria of, like, how do we know what is actually true. And so these are some criteria that are really helpful. Um, Is it logically consistent? As we think through the arguments and the A plus B equals C, does it logically make sense? Is there adequate factual support? There can't just be like one example that proves something to be true. It actually has to be consistent across all facts. Is there experiential relevance? Does this align with what people experience, or is it completely different from what people experience? Is it consistent with other fields of knowledge? Is it true not just in science and math, but also philosophy and art and music? And then moral factors. Does it line up with our inherent sense of morality, this moral compass that goes like, ooh, that is is not quite right? And so again, a lot of people— way smarter than I am, that have thought about this question for way longer (laughs) than I have, um, have spent years of their life, and they've put Christianity to the test to see, does it hold up to these things? Is it actually true? So Josh McDowell is one of these people. Um, Josh was a pre-law student in college and an atheist. He came in with no belief in God, was very, very opposed to it. He's like, no, I'm going to argue God away. He does not exist. Um, But when he was at college, he met this group of Christians, just like in the, I don't know, student union or something like that, and became friends with them. And these people started asking him questions about what he thought in a very loving and gentle way. And they asked him, they're like, have you ever looked at this for yourself? Or is this just something that you think because other people have told you? Like, do you actually know that this is true? So this question really haunted him. He's like, oh, dang. Like, I'm a pre-law student. I can't just believe in these things that don't actually make any sense. Um, And as he was considering this, he realized that a hinge point to Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it happened, Jesus was God, and He did what He said He was going to do. If it didn't happen, we're all fools, and we're following something that that is not true. Um, in one Corinthians fifteen fourteen, the Apostle Paul says, "If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith." Which I really appreciate—just his his honesty with that. He's like if Jesus didn't, if he didn't rise from the dead three days later, it's useless, and your faith is useless. And so this was Josh's goal as an atheist. He actually had plans to write an entire book on how the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen. But the more he looked into it, the more he was like, oh no. (laughs) Oh no, (laughs) like there's lots of, there's lots of factual evidence that aligns with this. And so in his attempt to disprove the resurrection, he actually ended up finding a bunch of support for it, and he himself became a Christian. Um, and he's now leading an apologetic ministry around the nation, which is super cool. Um, and so here's a quote from Josh. It says, after more than 700 hours of studying this subject and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I've come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. So he found conclusive and compelling evidence that Jesus was who he says he was, and that he did die on the cross. And three days later, he did raise from the dead. And like I said, now he's he's a follower and believer of Jesus and getting to share these awesome truths with so many people. And this it wasn't just this one guy. Again, like, it can't just be one thing that happened one time. Like, there's countless people who even have a very similar story of trying to disprove Christianity and actually finding that it holds up to all of these things. Countless men and women intelligent, who have put hundreds of hours, like 700 hours, that is mind-blowing to me. It's hard for me to focus for two hours sometimes. (laughs) Um, But it's staggering, the amount of credibility that Christianity holds, and even compared to other religions. Um, Last week, Randy showed us that the Bible is trustworthy. And if you missed that, by the way, highly recommend going back Actually, on the app, I don't know if you guys knew this, there's like a little podcast button. You can go and listen back if you didn't hear it or if you just want to hear it again. Um, so I won't dive into a bunch of those details, but he talked about how the Bible has significantly more, like significantly more credibility than any other manuscript in all of history. And things that are like widely accepted by people who are like, oh, this is true. Well, the Bible has way more evidence that it's actually accurate. Um, He mentioned how the Bible was written by more than 40 different human authors over a period of 1,500 years, and it stood the test of time. Like, you compare it to original manuscripts, it's accurate. When you consider other religions, like just the Quran, for example, it was written by one man who claimed that he heard from God. And there's just a lot less proof that any other religion is true. So with all of these things in mind, we have comprehensive and conclusive proof that Christianity is true and reliable. So when I was in college, I went on an eight-week trip to East Asia, a um, mission trip, super awesome. And towards the end of the trip— some of our friends took us to a Buddhist temple. They just kind of wanted to show us what it was like, give us an understanding of it. And honestly, it was one of the most sobering experiences that I've ever had. Um, So I'm going to try and, like, give you guys a picture of what it is that I saw and experienced. But we get to the temple, and, like, there's this big main building. And you walk in, and there's, like, these giant golden statues— And what you're supposed to do here, you're supposed to, you know, like, offer a sacrifice, or pay, or pray to these idols. Again, trying to achieve this state of enlightenment to escape suffering. People are on their knees, um, and even, like, as you walk in, it was, it was wild. Like, there's just this immediate sense of, like, spiritual darkness. So then, that's just the entrance. You, you go a little bit further. You walk up this really big staircase, and there's this grouping of trees, And we look around and we're like, oh, what what are these things on the trees? And what you were supposed to do, you were supposed to take a piece of paper and write your request on it. And then you would tie your request to a branch of the tree. But it wasn't—your request wasn't heard just because you put it on the tree. You actually had to wait until the tree grew tall enough for it to be heard. And then maybe it would be heard. So then you go a little further, you get to the main section of the temple. It's like this big circular building. There's about like nine or ten levels. Um, And you go in, there's a lot more golden statues and like idols that you can worship. And it's a similar concept. You could pay money if you wanted your prayers to be heard. And it was interesting, as you went up level by level by level, what changed was that your request would be heard more the higher you went up. But you had to pay more the more that you went up. And so as I'm walking and even like praying through this temple, like my heart is just breaking. I'm like, oh my gosh, there are millions of people here who are in—yeah, they need hope— they need something. They are in desperate need of something. And they're they're paying in hopes that their request would be heard. They're offering sacrifices. They're waiting years for a tree to go taller so that their request might be heard. And yeah, just this this like physical, like my heart was racing, this physical feeling of like of darkness and and sadness. And I'm like, gosh, these people. They're trying to get home, but they don't know the way. They don't know which way to go. Kind of a a similar experience that summer. Um, I was sitting down with a young girl, probably like, I don't know, freshman or sophomore, in college, and yeah, in sharing with her about who Jesus was and what he did. Like, we were sitting there eating our noodles, and all of a sudden she just stops she forgets that we're eating lunch, and she's just, like, zoned in on what I'm saying. And it's not because I was good at saying it. It's like, it's because what I was talking about, and I shared with her, is like, you can know God through Jesus, and you don't have to, you don't have to go to the temple to offer sacrifices and, and to earn your way. Like, he's here, and he's available, and he's good, and he's loving. And you just saw it on her face, like, she gets teary-eyed. She's just like, I have never heard this. <laughs> I had a very similar experience um, last year. A group of us from Crew went to the Middle East over spring break, and some of us were sitting down with two incredibly sweet Muslim girls. And we also had the opportunity to share the gospel with them, and they had the same reaction— They're like, that is so beautiful, and I've never heard anything like it. And that's what makes Christianity distinct, is the person of Jesus and what he did. It's the only religion that's not about earning your way, that's not about achieving a status, to get to a certain end, whether it's being morally good or meditating Or learning or whatever it is. It's not about that. Christianity is the only religion where God came down to his people. Where he left his place of rightful splendor and glory, he came down to be with his people, to live a perfect life, a perfect sinless life, to die the death that people owed. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, and he proved that he did what he said he was going to do. He was clear about what he was going to do. That the separation between God and humanity was no longer binding because he had made a way. And he's, he's giving us this invitation, this offer of come, come to me, not earn, not strive not try, not meditate. He says, come, come to me. He has such open and loving arms, and he wants fellowship with his people. And so to be loved by God, we don't have to worship in temples or uphold perfect morality. We don't have to endlessly strive to earn something. Instead, we accept the gift Freely given by our Creator. I was even thinking about this this morning, kind of as I was putting some of the last details of this together. And I like have this chair in my room that I'm sitting in, and just like praying, talking to the Lord. And I just had this moment. I was like, I was, I was asking him for help with this talk because you know it's kind of scary to get up here sometimes. And I just had this thought. I was like, I just asked the Lord to help me, and He did. I asked him to give me courage, and he did. I asked him to be with me and to have a relationship with me, and he did, so freely and so readily. I didn't have to—I didn't have to pray enough or be good enough. I was like, dang, this—this this is impactful in the big things and in just, like, the quiet moments of relationship with the Lord, which is so sweet. So like I said, Jesus is making this same invitation to every single person. Regardless of how you grew up, regardless of what you believe, regardless of what you've done, or what's been done to you, this is an invitation to you, to all people, to turn from what you're believing to trust in what Jesus has done for you. So just as we close up, I want you to consider this. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I invite you to consider how Jesus is so vastly different than everything else. Let your mind and your heart dwell on that fact. This is an invitation. If you would call yourself a Christian, do you really believe this? Like, do you really believe that Jesus is that much better than everything else? Is he really that beautifully unique to you? Is he your greatest treasure, your greatest reward? And do you treat him? Do you treat it like that? As you live your life, as you go out into your day, are you overflowing with gratitude um, with what Jesus has done for you? Or are you apathetic? Um, Are you just here for the plane ride and not, not caring about the destination of yourself or of other people around you? So as we go out, let's be people who know and proclaim the treasure that we have found in Jesus. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we just set our eyes and our hearts on you this evening. Um, We see who you are. We see what it is that you've done. um, And we thank you. We praise you that we're not in an endless cycle of striving or trying or being good enough. We thank you that you have made a way for us to know you and that that's freely given to us through your son, Jesus. Um, I pray for all of us here, God, would we grow in our our love and our joy of who you are and would that even lead us to share who you are with other people. So I just pray that you would be with us as we go out and we pray these things in your son's name, Um, amen.